Hello, and welcome to the Jill Cruz podcast. This is Jill Cruz. Today, I had really, truly a very deep and meaningful conversation with Dr. Svetlana Shamon. And uh, Dr. Shamon is a medical doctor. She's a cardiologist and also a PhD. She practices lifestyle medicine, but she has a company called Cardio Seeds that actually does a lot of advocacy work and also educates institutions and, you know, that have medical professionals working for them on burnout and what burnout is. And, and it's very, very pervasive in the medical industry. As a matter of fact, Svetlana shared that about 85% of all medical professionals are experiencing burnout to one degree or another. And that's not something that we are usually aware of. So we talk about that. So we start off with like these statistics around how hard it is for medical doctors and all of that. But then we get into the, the juiciness of it all of around, you know, why you know, the culture of stigma for mental health amongst medical professionals. Uh, we talk about what is burnout, how you can identify if you have burnout or not. And it's a continuum, right? Like you could be severe or less severe burnout. We have some resources for you if you want to try to determine if you have burnout or not. And also she gave some really amazing tips on how to cope with this, right? You know, if you really do have burnout, again, starting with the more severe to the less severe and, and how we can uh, try to alleviate burnout. And uh, it, is a, it is a diagnosable medical condition. So this is serious stuff. Very important conversation uh, may apply to you, may apply to somebody you know, may apply to your doctor. So definitely give a listen and please share this episode. Hello, Svetlana, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jill. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited. And so I want to dive right in because you are a cardiologist. You are a medical doctor and have a medical practice as a cardiologist. And now you've started your own business and you practice lifestyle medicine, which some people listening may not even know what that means. But what happened? What made you decide to not do the conventional path of just being a doctor, having a practice? And, you know, that's typically what doctors do. What, what, what made you change? Oh, Jill, this is an excellent question. That's exactly what everybody asks me. What, what on earth happened to you? <laughs> well, that's, um, it's a long way that brought me here. You know, 20 years of practicing cardiology and then working in cardiac safety industry as a chief cardiologist for the world's largest technology and innovation company for clinical trials for the last 14 years. So it was enough for me to not only to experience burnout firsthand, but to also see um, the United States medicine and the state of the United States healthcare from within in every single domain. And also it gave me an opportunity to become a patient and see it from another another perspective from patient's perspective. And what I realized is that um, our, our healthcare system is kind of moving into wrong direction with, you know, mainly a fee-for-service model and 
patients are getting sicker and sicker as time goes by because those incentives that doctors are getting for, you know, treating patients or, as I say, patching up patients with pills and procedures are not incentivizing them or patients getting preventive measures, right? Preventive from the root cause of diseases, because it turns to be 85% of all chronic diseases are entirely preventable with very easy and uh, simple, what we call lifestyle interventions. So just by changing lifestyle to wholesome, just healthy lifestyle changes can prevent 85% of all chronic diseases. And nothing of this is done in conventional medicine. So the first thing what I did is I decided to contribute to the health of the population by simply switching from conventional medicine to the lifestyle medicine. So I got board certified in lifestyle medicine, which is this thing actually nowadays. So it's this it's a <laughs> it, specialty. It's yes, you can practice <laughs> lifestyle medicine, which actually is gaining momentum not only in the United States but also around the world. Because mm-hmm. people understand the virtues of not only practicing lifestyle medicine, but also saving money for patients, for the healthcare system, and for the population, for the country as a whole. So I decided to join in the, you know, uh, this uh, group of of practitioners and became um, board certified in lifestyle medicine. But once I started doing that and I started, I opened um, Cardio Seeds, my own company, Cardio Seeds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I intentionally opened it as a lifestyle medicine practice or lifestyle mm-hmm. cardiology practice, thinking of treating patients with lifestyle interventions, giving them advice about, you know, good sleep and exercise and nutrition, plant-based diet, et cetera, et cetera. But then when I started doing that, my own former colleagues started coming to me and saying, Lana, can you do something for us? Can you help us with burnout? And I said, with Mm -hmm. what? And they said, with burnout. And then I realized that Burnout or professional burnout, physician, healthcare provider burnout is such a huge, humongous thing that actually kind of, I kind of knew that because I experienced that first thing, but I didn't realize that almost 85% of providers, physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs all around us walk around burned out and unable to help one another or help themselves for various reasons. So I jumped in and I said, Mm -hmm. you know, this is going to be my thing. I'm going to contribute. And if I save one life or two lives, if I help one or two people or 10 people, 20 people, my mission as a physician is going to be, you know, complete. Yeah. It's interesting because burnout leads to disease, right? Absolutely. I mean, Huge. So you're still practicing 
preventive medicine, lifestyle medicine, but people may not think of it that way, right? They may think, oh, I'm just stressed out. I'm just stressed. You know, this is normal. I'm a doctor. I'm a, I'm a nurse practitioner. I work in a hospital. Of course, I'm stressed out. But what you're doing is saying, no, this is actually, I, I had somebody else on the podcast who told me that burnout is a recognized, right. I don't remember the terminology, it's a well, recognized condition by the World Health Organization, right. right? World Health Organization. So after many, you know, rounds of tribulations and discussions, the World Health Organization actually recognized burnout syndrome as burnout an syndrome. occupational phenomenon, okay? Mm -hmm. So resulting from chronic workplace stress. And this has to be actually stressed, the point that this is connected to the workplace. So it's in mm -hmm. the ICD-11 now as a burnout syndrome. So it's a medical mm -hmm. diagnosis. So it has several dimensions with, you know, energy depletion and exhaustion and increased mental distance from one's job or sense of ineffectiveness or decreased accomplishment at work. But it specifically refers, specifically refers to the occupational context. So mm -hmm. it should not be taken apart from the occupational context. And of course, burnout reasons are usually systemic, but individual's person's management depends on her or his specific domains that are affected, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, or moral, or the combination of thereof, because it could be different domains. And, you know, it's so prevalent, this burnout syndrome. I think, because from what I have, you know, studied, what I have read, that pre-COVID pandemic, the burnout in medical profession among physicians was hovering somewhere around mid-50s percentage. But with the emergence of COVID, it should all the way up to the 80%. So somewhere around the 80, mid-80s now. So if you ask any physician at any given time, are you burned out now? According to the American Medical Association, the likelihood they will say yes is about 8 out of 10 physicians will say yes. And Crazy. one out of 10, on the scale of 1 out of 10, if they rate the perceived burnout on the scale one out of 10 with one of being very light and 10 being very severe, the average will be around seven. So it's a pretty bad on the scale from one to 10. So I'm not sure if, you know, the medical, uh, I mean, mental, mental, um, mental state, mental well-being is a continuum, right? It's not, right. it's not a fixed thing. So mm -hmm. if we think about it as a continuum and everyone says they're at seven in terms of burnout, what would it take to tip them over to 10, to nine, to 10, right? To make them worse? Mm -hmm. Not much. Another pandemic yeah. or another wave of pandemic or something else like a market crash or something else just to add to that seven, right? Mm -hmm. And essentially, what we're facing now as a medical profession is a projected huge shortage of medical personnel in several years, including both nurses and physicians, Jill. And this is what I'm afraid is going to be 
a huge consequence of all mm. this. And this is what I'm concerned about as a physician and as a patient, because yeah. the American Medical Association projects the potential shortage of physicians in hundreds of thousands in about two years. And, oh you know, this is not something that we have to take lightly. We cannot take mm -hmm. it lightly because, number one, on average, each primary care physician sees 3,000 patients per year, okay? Mm -hmm. So if we say, you know, a shortage of physicians, 150,000 in the country, so think about how many, how many patients will lose their primary physicians, you know? It will yeah. be like the size of Harrisburg, you yeah. know, or two Scrantons. So it's not it's not something that can be taken lightly. Another, you mentioned physical or psychological aspects. One of the direct consequences are physical aspects of the burnout, like cardiovascular disease. I'm a cardiologist. In the 70s, in the 70s, in Japan, there was a phenomenon that they, Japanese, called karoshi, karoshi syndrome, or death by yeah. overwork. Yeah. If you remember, you remember that probably, right? Yeah, well, I lived in Japan for you seven years, Japan. so I know about karoshi. <laughs> so, <yeah. right. laughs> so when they did not have any cap on the number of hours when they work per week, right? So 110 hours per week resulted in people have heart attack and strokes from overwork. Mm -hmm. And they had actually they carved a name for it called Karo Karoshi syndrome. So heart attacks and strokes. We don't want this to start happening here, but this is one of the things. Also, we don't think about the, you know, the societal effects of of the burnout, you know, all of those um, families falling apart, the accidents happening, the alcohol overuse, drug overuse, and all that mm -hmm. stuff, right? Absenteeism yeah. from work and stuff like that. But yeah. also, if we need to convince our healthcare administrators to do something about it, everyone likes numbers, numbers, mm -hmm. numbers, numbers. How much do we lose money? every day, every month, and every year from physician burnout. Do you know how much? Well, we know how much because it creates a huge turnover for, for physician personnel. When, when people are burned out, they leave their practice, they retire early, you know what happens, right? Or they, they look for something like non-clinical jobs or something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they leave their practices. And nowadays, the average turnover is around 7% for physicians, 7%. So to replace one physician in practice or hospital setting costs that practice or that hospital setting somewhere between $100,000 to $500,000. The calculations are very simple. If a hospital has... 450 physicians, and the turnover is around 7%. That will cost that hospital around $14 million to replace all the physicians that leave the hospital mm -hmm. within a year. Mm -hmm. So, and we have, for instance, I live six minutes from the hospital that employs 2,000 physicians. Mm 
So mm-hmm. on the conservative side, it will be around $16 million to $50 million to replace yeah. if the attrition rate is around 7%. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense to keep people happy and keep people healthy. The question is how? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is the question. And it's this all ties into what you were talking about earlier with the lifestyle medicine. Or, and, uh, you know, the reason that you went into the lifestyle medicine was you saw the, what do you call it, patching process? Like, because it's not just the physician turnover, it's also the general population of people who are just going in and getting these procedures. When you said 85% of this, a lot of these chronic conditions are preventable. It's like, we have to look at it from both angles, right? Like, how can we revise the system so that people are not as sick, <laughs> essentially, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> practice, practicing preventive medicine. And well, then- you are looking into <laughs> the root cause and yes. Right. So this is the the thing that uh, goes a long way back, right? How did it all start? So obviously, back in the day, we were all in small practices or physicians were solo, you know, going between the homes and seeing patients for close to nothing. Whoever could pay them an eggs or a chicken (laughs) would give them (laughs) a chicken or nothing, right? So... What happened several decades ago, a couple of decades ago, was that financial institutions like hedge funds or private equities or some, you know, banks or financial institutions started buying hospitals and practices, physician practices. And so now more physician practices are owned so physicians are more employed than they own their own practices. Right. right? So in right. hospitals are more privatized than mm-hmm. non-for-profit. So when hospitals become for profit, you see what happens. So yeah. physicians don't have any saying in the matter. So they lose their weight. They cannot weigh right. in, in, in the matter. So they are they do what they're told, essentially, right? Because when everything is on the productivity model and everything is on the incentive model, so physicians, unfortunately, become incentivized to perform more procedures, prescribe more medications, and perform more surgeries and do more diagnostic tests. Mm -hmm. Because this is how the system incentivize them to do. And this notion of protecting the patient, protecting the patient's interests, unfortunately moves to a side, you know. And we as physicians suffer from the the fact that we cannot control the idea that we have to protect patients' interests because Mm -hmm. we know that we took that oath to protect right. patients' interests, and we know that we should not harm anybody. Yeah. But I always thought that it was the insurance system that was really dictating all of this. But what you're saying about 
the privatization and the corporatization, I don't know if that's a word, but I'm making it that's up right now. Word. The yeah. corporatization <laughs> of hospitals and practices, I'm sure the insurance is not helping the situation, but it's, it's this combination of this industry, really, that's, that's completely, the, 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 the first goal is profit. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like if, if we can make people healthy and happy, well, fine, you know, but maybe we can do that too. But the first goal is profit. And now you have doctors who are in this system who are saying, wait a minute, I became a doctor because mm-hmm. I wanted to help people, not because right. I wanted to make somebody rich. This is, this is, I'm like, Svetlana, I have to say uh, right now, I'm like, I'm, I'm glad that we talked because I didn't yeah. realize that it was also the hospitals. I do know that when my daughter's my older daughter's 20. And we, when we first started going to our pediatrician, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, he had a little office and a little mm-hmm. practice and it was right. just him and the nurse practitioner. And mm-hmm. now it's, he's part of this big corporate system. Sure. And you, when you go, you see him, you know, mm-hmm. but it's the same guy, mm-hmm. but like, it's, I, I, I've noticed that a lot of these smaller practices now are just either, like you said, retiring or they're getting swallowed up by mm-hmm. these larger mm-hmm. corporate in, uh, complexes. But this is a really big problem. <laughs> so this see, is see, like see, really bad. That, right. This, the thing is that we as, as physicians culture, we are kind of stuck now in between, in between kind of, you know, we want to be purists. We want mm-hmm. to be purists, right? Still. Because this is what we sign for. We we want to to be purists and to be only practicing the art of medicine and the science of mm-hmm. medicine and mm-hmm. to keep as far as possible from what this business part of medicine, right? right? right. Because we are supposedly, you know, scientists and artists and we are there for for the patient and for for curing them and for for fixing them and for, you know, putting our heart into this. However, I think this is inevitable where the progress has taken us. This Mm -hmm. is no way back now. Mm -hmm. So how do we make the best out of it? How do we Mm -hmm. make the best out of it? And I think to make the best out of it is to confront the fact that the business model in medicine is squeezing blood and sweat out of physicians at this moment. And this has to be changed somehow because we have to put the brake on the speed of this business model, squeezing the blood and sweat out of it, of, of us. Okay. If we don't put the brake on the speed, on the, velo- on the, you know, the fury of this, it will not be sustainable. It has to change because because 15 minutes per patient, it's not sustainable. Right. So, yeah. but physicians need to commit to, you know, learn technology, to put technology to their advantages and to, to commit to, you know, break the stigma about um, medical, uh, mental health in medicine, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. mental health is a huge stigma and physicians are, or have been unwilling to face, face it or break the barriers even to, to yeah. speak to one another about it. So right. all of those old cultural, you know, ideas have to go. Physicians have to get mm. rid of them. 
before anything, something huge changes. Wow. It's, a, it's an uphill battle. It just starts. It's just yeah. started. Yeah. So you, right now, your practice, Cardio Seeds, is you treat, you use lifestyle medicine mostly. I mean, you're a cardiologist, so I'm sure you, you use your... <laughs> look, look, Cardio Seeds is, is bigger than practice. At this moment, um, we, we work with policymakers. I am also okay. a co-chair of the cardiology group of the lifestyle medicine, American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Mm-hmm. So we are, I'm trying to work across the, across various groups of clinicians and scientists to raise awareness and see how mm-hmm. we can work together with policymakers, with technology companies mm-hmm. to bring this to the real world and to, to get some new data, research data and put it all together, essentially, and how how we as scientists can make it happen in practice, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's wonderful. I'm so glad you're doing that. What What do you think the average person can do about this? Is there anything we can do? Yeah, I think I I think that at this moment, the average person can number one, they can support their doctors. They can they can mm-hmm. be very kind and very aware of the fact that their doctors most likely are suffering from burnout. The statistics are for the fact that their doctors are suffering from burnout. So just asking their doctors how they're doing, making sure that you're empathic to your physician, and talk to them about the fact that lifestyle medicine exists and practice Practicing lifestyle medicine actually does a lot of good, not only to patients, but also to doctors. Doctors who Mm. practice preventive care, elements of lifestyle interventions, they benefit themselves. They feel better in this profession. Mm -hmm. They feel like more accomplished and Mm. much less stressed out. They feel like they're doing good in this world. So this is something for them to consider. And also, you know, if you know any physicians, any nurses, etc., I think it's very important to get them introduced to the ideas that professional societies who take care of people who who take care of burnout and the, the professional conferences on burnout prevention like the International Conference on Physician Burnout Prevention, the Women Conferences, et cetera, et cetera, they do exist. So, yeah, as a, even as a family member, you can do a lot. Yeah, wow, that's that's wonderful. Thank you. It's so funny because I, I never really think of, like, <laughs> being nice to my doctor. No, I'm just totally joking. <laughs> I'm totally joking no, about think, that. But. I think it's even more, I think it's more than that. It just, you know, make sure that they know that we all as a society, as a, as a society as a whole, we need to break down those barriers about stigma, right. stigmatizing medical profession for mental health. Because this is the only probably reason doctors do not seek help for, mm-hmm. for mental stigma. 
problems. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was joking. I'm I'm just saying like a lot of times, you know, we, we it's one thing if you go in for your annual annual visit and you feel fine, but you know, a lot of times we're going into the doctor's office not feeling fine. And sure. the last thing we're thinking about is like, how's your day, doc? You know, but I so I appreciate that you brought that up because you know, doctors are humans too. And <laughs> it's, it sounds like a co- very compassionate, thoughtful thing to do and, and to just say, hey, you know, hey, doc, how are you doing? And to talk about uh, the stigma there is, is huge. See, doctors are humans. They, um, we by, um, you know, our culture trained us to be very empathic to our patients, mm-hmm. but not to ourselves. Right. We're trained to forget our basic needs mm-hmm including our physiological, psychological yeah. needs, you know, not to eat, not to sleep. Yeah. They you train know. you, they train um, you to ignore it, right? It's they part train, of your training. They trained us, yeah. they train us, right, to neglect our physiological needs. And they also train us to not to be very empathic towards one another. Mm-hmm. So because this is kind of this is a profession that does not does not welcome weak people. (laughs) One needs to be extremely strong and resilient in this profession. This is why resilience training do not work in medicine, Mm -hmm. because everyone is so resilient. Every doctor can train anybody resilient. (laughs) So resilience training does not work here. Something else needs to be Mm -hmm. done. And empathy to one another It's something that physicians need to learn and empathy to yourself, self-care. Mm-hmm. This is something that we aren't trained to do. We neglect our needs and we don't express our needs and we don't talk to one another as a group right. about our needs. Yeah. So this is something that we deeply, we bury inside. Yeah. And this is not good anymore because it hurts us as a as a group of practitioners. And really, it surfaced. It went. It came to the surface COVID. during COVID. Yeah. It just became obvious. Yeah. Well, that's. I always say, like COVID was is, is terrible, terrible, terrible tragedy and and hor- horrific. But all of these things are coming to the surface. So many issues that Absolutely. we've had. Absolutely, it's coming to the surface, Jill. Yeah. So that's kind of a yeah. silver lining. Now, does cardio seeds? Do you do any training or or anything like that around the burnout for physicians? Right. This is this is a very good question because we do. So what I do, I um, I actually present physicians and um, healthcare administrators with grand rounds. Mm-hmm. I do I do training. I do lectures and grand rounds for medical trainees, mm-hmm. including mm-hmm. students, residents, and fellows. Mm-hmm on not only on the reasons or causes of burnout, but on practical solutions, mm-hmm. including not only individual, but the systemic solutions. And mind you, the systemic solutions are very individualized from system to system, from hospital to hospital. Mm-hmm. What's good for Stanford University Hospital may not be good for Penn System, yeah. University of Pennsylvania, and vice versa. So, And I am... A very big fan of um, technology, mm-hmm. artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. all of those utilizing, you know, Internet of Things, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So 
technological advances for not only burnout identification or reduction, but also for monitoring burnout in real time Mm. and applying this knowledge metrics to monitor and reduce burnout in real time. Mm in healthcare systems. Wow, so that's incredible. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of that, of using that technology. Wow, that's amazing. So I think there is future uh, for that. And it's been underutilized, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have this aura ring. So on a personal level, I can, I can kind of monitor in a way, right, my own stress, how my body is yes. coping with stress. I think we're going to start to wind it down. But before we end, since we have you, on an individual level, what can mm-hmm. people do to manage burnout? I think, first of all, recognizing mm-hmm. whether or not you are burnt out or, le- you know, going down that path. Mm-hmm. And any tips that you have for on an individual level? To recognize, you can just test yourself, to be honest with you. You can use several um, questionnaires. There are multiple questionnaires for burnout, Um for medical professionals, they use MassLac inventory. This is a 22-question questionnaire. There are nine questions, abbreviated questionnaire for MassLac burnout inventory. And there are other questionnaires. So it depends how you score mm-hmm. on, on that, um, whether you have, you know, no burnout, severe or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then essentially... I usually look what aspects of burnout the person has, whether it's more physical, mm-hmm. moral, psychological, or what have you. And then I would like to identify whether it's very emergent or urgent is to fix the person immediately. Mm-hmm. Because if the person has a very severe burnout, we need to fix that person first before addressing anything mm-hmm. else. Anything else, okay? If the person is pre-suicidal, God forbid, or or something real, real bad is happening, we need to fix that person. Even if a hard reset, I I call it hard reset, or an intervention Mm -hmm. needs to be done emergently, right? Sometimes with the help of mental health professionals or professionals, sometimes even with hospitalization, Mm -hmm. it happened. It happened on my watch. So the other thing is that restructuring of person's immediate surroundings mm-hmm. need to be, needs to be done very, very often. And for, for that, I use actually, I've been using it for many years personally, and I recommend using Eisenhower matrix, Dwight Eisenhower matrix. Right. Yeah. And so I recommend using it for everybody in setting when they're burnout mentally, physically, or both, whether it's work-related or not work-related uh-huh. or home-related or whatever, even with a newborn baby. Sure. And if you look at the Eisenhower matrix, you can really prioritize and remove all the stupid stuff that is unnecessary and really clean your, clear your, you know, schedule and everything. So that's the most important thing. Then, of course, the techniques that need to be applied immediately to the person, to the human being, are mindfulness mm-hmm. and heart-centered meditation, mm-hmm. even if it's 16-second heart-centered meditation. Mm-hmm. So we, as healthcare professionals, don't have 
time, or we claim that we don't have time right. for anything, but there is merit behind a 16-second heart-centered meditation. Wow. It's, it's proven to be just as good, supposedly, if you do it several times per day. So four-second inhale, four-second hold, four-second exhale, four-second mm -hmm. hold. And all while thinking about the heart mm -hmm. um, or heart-centered mm -hmm. Um, you know, area. Right. The um, heart math is a tool that you can use, right? I'm sure there are other tools. Yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. You can use that tool, but you don't, you don't need, need it. it. <laughs> you don't mm -hmm. need it, yeah. So you can just think about the square mm -hmm. mentally. Think about the square and use that square as that 16-second, yeah. essentially, go with the square, yeah. Oh, nice. And then mindfulness and meditation, that's yeah. all and, and Eisenhower Square to unload yourself, mm -hmm. unload, unload of unnecessary yes. tasks. And, and the hard reset sometimes is needed when you need to literally speak and take several days right. alone, completely in complete isolation, mm -hmm. sober, without any social media, without television, you know, mm -hmm or any devices phones or yeah. anything yeah and that hard reset needs to be utilized for reanalyzing how you have spent your life and how you lived your life whether it was according to your own values or to somebody else's values mm. and when you really analyze whether you have been living your life according to your own values or not it really hits you as a pile of rocks. Yeah, wow. If the answer is, I've been living my life according to my boss's values. Right. It hits you as a pile of rocks. Wow, I love that. That's a really simple, so, I mean. That's what I call a hard reset. Yeah. I started drinking. I came up with this. <laughs> it's not, it's probably not my creations. <laughs> but I came up with this hard reset several years mm -hmm. ago. And I've been recommending this to people. I did it a couple of times myself. Mm -hmm. And this is actually how I came up with leaving practice yeah. and stopping working for somebody else yeah. and start working for myself yeah. and doing other things that I wanted to do in life. Yeah. So, yeah, yes. you know, I was, I, I do these solo podcasts where I just talk to myself. No. <laughs> Hopefully yes. some people are listening. Um, yes, I do. I do too. <laughs> but um, I was, today I was talking about, I was saying something and is so, you know, our nervous system is, is the sort of driver of this, right? Or the, it, maybe it's the responder, who knows? But in any case, the, the, the nervous system is intimately involved in, in all of this, right? What I, what I realized is that as long as you're in heavily in that sympathetic, you know, stress state, it's really hard to change your thinking, to reframe mm -hmm. things, to you know, all the things that they tell of you course. to do when you're stressed, right? It's, it's, it's really hard to do of those course. things. And so I like what you're talking about, about this um, hard reset, because what you're doing is you're actually just getting your nervous system calm, cal calmer. You're in more in that parasympathetic state, right? Much more so. Sure. And that I believe, and I have no science to back this. I just believe this to be true, that if you're in that that more peaceful mindset, you're more relaxed, mm -hmm. you're more calm, you're more in the parasympathetic, that's when you can start to retrain, 
your brain. You can start mm-hmm. to rebuild. You you have creative ideas. You have insights, right? And so the the hard reset okay. sounds like an incredible practice to just let's get your nervous system from being like ah, ah, to calmer, mm-hmm. calmer, calmer, mm-hmm. calmer, calmer. And then all of a sudden right. it's like, oh, why didn't I notice that before? Well, you didn't notice right, it because right. your your brain was in crisis mode all the time. So I sure. I like this. Now it'd be cool if there were if we could do it somewhere with like a beautiful surrounding, some nature maybe, you know. <laughs> oh, that that would be ideal, yeah. Well, you know, one can one cannot function with recent thoughts. Right. Right. So this is why the military and certain professions that really function on the very high edge mm-hmm. of, um, you know, uh, stress, yeah. like the pilots or the military police, they develop those techniques. They perfected them. Breathing uh-huh. this uh, very fast, you yeah. know, quick uh, fixes, you know, the 16 seconds, I believe it comes, it was, it was developed for very, very quick fix when it needs, like, you know, literally speaking, a sniper needs to calm their breath, breathing, you know, within five, 16 seconds. So those not our creations, but they do help yeah. to calm your sympathetic system mm-hmm to, you know, increase the parasympathetic discharge when you release the vagus nerve by, you know, bending your neck down like this. And, um, of course, uh, that also, you know, when, when you stay by yourself for several days, you know, in some remote area and engage other senses, mm-hmm. like your visual, your, you know, other senses, literally speaking, yeah. your uh, senses of smell and, and hearing and eyesight and everything else, it essentially stimulates your brain to, you know, creative thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, puts it on another wavelength. Right. right. So. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. This, yeah. I mean, Svetlana, this has been such an amazing conversation. We we, <laughs> we started with the, you know, I mean, I think you really created the context for us, for, for, for me and for those people who are listening to understand the context in which you're talking. We're not just talking about, oh, you know, you're stressed out. You're a little stressed out. You need to take a weekend. This is like serious and it's it's a it's a looming potential catastrophe that we have in our medical system here and something needs to be done about it and i appreciate that you are hopeful we can avert the catastrophe yeah hopefully you know but here you are doing advocacy work and you know policy level like that's again i want to express my appreciation because you know we need people like you to be doing this work. Thank you, Jill. Thank you so much for inviting me so we can raise the awareness about this. Yes, yes, absolutely. To be be kind to your doctor, you know, (laughs) ask your doctor if, you know, they, you know, like talk about these things. Yeah, the stigma thing is really big too. And I don't know how much we can do as as patients, but that's a really important aspect of it as well. The interpersonal, you know, the relationships and amongst doctors. Thank you so much, Svetlana. I really appreciate your being here with us today. You're welcome, Jill. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to that episode with Dr. Svetlana Shamon. Svetlana is the founder and president of Cardio Seeds. She also has the Cardio Seeds podcast, 
which I recommend that you check out. She is a double board certified cardiologist, a member of the American Society for Preventive Cardiology and the American Medical Women's Association. So as we talked about, she has the Lifestyle Medicine Board. So she's a diplomat of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and a certified health and wellness coach. So there's a lot of cool stuff there and we are going to put the links in the show notes. Her website is cardioseeds.com and there you can check out the podcast, her blog, her programs, learn more about Svetlana and support what she's doing because we really are, obviously we have big issues looming in the medical world and I think it's important for all of us to, to be educated and to have that awareness and to spread this knowledge. And of course, as always, please do check out our love challenge, which is uh, in the Mighty Networks platform. And that is a challenge. It's a, it's a kind of a low-key challenge for you to get tools so that you can practice self-love. And self-love is a wonderful way to calm down your nervous system. We talked about that in the, in the episode today about getting your nervous system more into that parasympathetic mode. And breath work is amazing. And also, right, it's about your mindset, the thoughts that you're having. And so practicing self-love is a wonderful, wonderful tool that uh, I think we all need to be utilizing. So check out the Love Challenge. And also, as always, please check out our website, which is winweightloss.com. That's W-Y-N weightloss.com. And I have a lot of really good blog posts there and all kinds of topics that are there to inspire and educate you. Thanks for listening.